Good evening, church. This evening, the scripture reading will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And it reads, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. I have read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. May the Lord bless the hearers, readers, and doers of our word. Tonight, we're grateful for your presence. We've got a lot of folks out, and I'm not really sure why, but looks like we've got a lot of people out tonight, and so we want to keep those who are sick and struggling in our prayers, and those who may be traveling, remember them in your prayers as well. I'm going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the passage that Jordan read for us a moment ago. As we think about the theme, Steadfast Saints, Whenever you look at the scriptures, one of the things that you need to make sure you do is make application. Sometimes we read what the scripture has to say and we think about the meaning to that first century audience, but really maybe the question might be asked, do we make application to our own lives? And so tonight I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Paul in this chapter has been discussing the significance, the validity of the resurrection of Christ. And really it's on that basis that we have the hope of being resurrected from the grave one day. And so in light of the future resurrection, Paul would say in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Four things I want to share with you very quickly in our study tonight. As we think about this one verse, I want to begin by saying that we need to see, I need to see myself in this verse. And that's applicable to all of us. We all need to look at the scriptures in light of our own lives. And so, listen again to what Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, some translations say, Be ye steadfast. That's the old King James Version. And the old saying, be ye, means me. And so as I think about this verse, I can't help but contemplate the people to whom Paul was writing, their relationship to Christ, and the fact that we belong to the family of God. And so as we ask the question, what does it mean to be a brother, a sister in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? What about the people to whom Paul was writing? Who were they? Number one, they were the saved, weren't they? Back in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 15, Paul said he made known to them the gospel which he had preached unto them, which they had received. He said, wherein you stand, by which you're saved, if you hold fast the gospel that I preached to you. God's word has the power to save the soul. Paul would say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, what had these people done to be numbered among the saved? Well, back in chapter 6, Paul, in writing to the saints at Corinth, said of those people that they had been washed, they had been sanctified, they had been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. To be washed is simply to be baptized into Christ. The prerequisites to becoming a child of God, number one, we have to believe that Jesus is 
the Christ. Paul would say to the church at Corinth, We believe, therefore we speak. Paul was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood that Jesus was God incarnate, that He was the Son of the living God. And then we're called upon to repent of all of our sins, Paul in his preaching and teaching. For example, when he went to Athens, told those people that the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And then to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And then to be baptized into Christ, and Paul himself had submitted to baptism. In Acts 22, verse 16, in recounting his conversion, he said, Ananias instructed him to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. Now when we do that, we're among the saved, aren't we? So these people were saved. Not only were they the saved, but they had been sanctified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes to the church of God at Corinth, those who had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. To be sanctified means to be set apart. And the idea is that before we obey the gospel, we're in the world. And we are under the reign, so to speak, of the devil. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He said that he has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So those who have been sanctified, they have been set apart from the world. At one time, we were all in the world. And we were living, as Paul would say, in sin. And so when we obey the gospel, we're numbered among the saved. We are the sanctified. We've been set apart for holy purposes, haven't we? And then we are identified as saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul, in writing to the church again, he said they had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Listen to him, called to be saints. Every Christian, male or female, young or old, is a saint of God. Sometimes people misconstrue what it means to be a saint. All of us who have been baptized into Christ, who are numbered among the saved, who have been sanctified, we're a saint. Now maybe we don't live like a saint sometimes, but we are still a saint in the eyes of God. Not only are we a saint, but Peter tells us we're priests of God, aren't we? And that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, according to 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 5. So, in looking at this verse, I need to understand I'm among the saved, the sanctified, I am a saint, and also I am a servant. Those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we have been called into a life of servanthood, haven't we? Do you remember when Paul wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth? And he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Paul was a servant of God. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, the people to whom Paul was writing, what he wanted them to understand was they were saints too. We're all saints in the kingdom of God. And then finally, we're stewards. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul said that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. And I want to come back to that in just a moment. So first, I need to see myself in this verse. Secondly, 
I need to see the mandate in this verse. Well, what's the mandate? Listen again to what he said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. My duty is to be a steadfast servant of Almighty God. And as Paul said, I am to be immovable. My life is to be rooted in Christ, so much so that I'm not going anywhere. I have drawn that proverbial line in the sand, and I'm going to stand and do what's right, come what may. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he would say, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Not only are we to be immovable, but unwavering in our faith. Look at the life of Paul. Paul wasn't wishy-washy in his faith, but rather he was steadfast, immovable. He practiced what he preached. When he wrote to Timothy in his last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he could say, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith, unwavering, immovable as members of the kingdom of God. And that's what we need to be, immovable. We need to be the kind of people that are resilient, that are willing to resist the overtures of the devil. Because after all, James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, that we need to be grounded in the faith so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men. And sometimes individuals are not steadfast, immovable. They don't stand like they should stand because they're not rooted and grounded in the faith. Now, what about the danger? Paul said, be steadfast, immovable. What's the danger? Let me just very quickly talk about the possibilities of membership in the body of Christ. First, there's the possibility that someone could be a weak member. Weak because he or she has not grown in the faith. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer in the long ago talked about those who at one time had been converted to, had been converted to Christ, and he said, when by reason of time you ought to be teachers... He said, you need someone to teach you the rudiments of the first principles of God. In other words, they had not grown. And because they had not grown, they were still on milk. And so what the writer there is saying is, look, you need to develop spiritual strength and stamina through the Word of God. One of the byproducts of knowing the Word is that we have the ability to discern between good and evil, according to verse 14 in chapter 5. Sometimes we're weak because we've made no effort to be strong in the Lord. Paul said, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. I would grant that when a person obeys the gospel, he or she is a baby in Christ. And babies are sometimes defenseless. Well, they are defenseless and helpless. And as a babe in Christ, our goal, our desire is to grow. But if we don't grow, what's going to happen? We're going to be weak, aren't we? That's why Peter said, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word. Why? That you might grow thereby. 
In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, number one, there's the possibility that I could be a weak member. A second possibility is that I might be a worldly member. You know, we talk about some of the reasons why people fall away from the church. Why it is that some people are not faithful to God? Why some people are not steadfast, immovable in the faith? I think that in many respects, we could lay it all at the feet of worldliness, couldn't we? Because really the world has sucked so many people out of the church back into that old way of life. You remember Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2? Talked about those that had escaped the corruptions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he said they had been overtaken. What happened? Something happened to them along the way. John said, Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, he said, The love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, he says, Not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away. In James 4, verse 4, James said, Ye adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. So when we talk about the dangers, the inherent dangers to our steadfastness, to our faithfulness to God, one would be that we're weak in the faith. A second would be that we are worldly. In other words, we've allowed the world to shape, to mold, to leave its imprint upon our lives. What was it Paul said in Romans chapter 12? We're not to be conformed unto this world. In other words, we're not to allow the world to pour us into its mold, to shape and make us like its own. And so there's the danger of being a weak member. There's the danger of being a worldly member. And then thirdly, there's the danger of being a wayside member. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Peter talked about those who have forsaken the right way the implication is at one time they had been on the right road but here Peter says look they have forsaken what is right now you think about what Paul is saying here he's writing to Christians and when you look at the church at Corinth they had a lot of problems didn't they they had more problems than they could say grace over and what Paul was trying to do was to correct their problems get them back on the road to living as they ought to live and so he's encouraging them to be faithful to God. Look, in light of the resurrection, in light of the hope that we have, Paul's saying you need to be steadfast, immovable in the faith of God. What about you tonight? How would you classify your membership? Would you say you're weak, worldly? Are you a wayside member? There's a third point I want to share and I want to talk about the working member the third point I need to see my mission in this verse I need to see the mission in the verse listen again to what Paul said therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord the idea here is that I am a working member in the body of Christ I mentioned a moment ago that every Christian, every Christian is to be a servant. We serve the Lord. Jesus came to do what? To serve. And Jesus asked the question, 
is the servant above his master. You think about Jesus coming to serve. Don't you think it would be somewhat offensive to him if we thought we were too good to be a servant? To serve him? What does it mean to be a servant of Almighty God? Well, the Bible tells us that we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Ephesians 2, verse 10. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, 10 is, we are God's masterpiece. And God has shaped and fashioned us so that we can do what? Bring honor and glory to Him. So you think about Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. When he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When we engage in good works, it's not for a pat on the back. It's not so that somebody will say, well, you know, he or she is a great Christian servant. Look, it's a great thing to be complimented. We do it not for glory or attention. We do it to serve the Lord and to glorify Him. And hopefully and prayerfully through our good works, lead others to Christ. And so, in the book of Titus, Titus was told by Paul that we are to show ourselves as a pattern for good works. In chapter 2, verse 7. In verse 14 of that same chapter, he said we are to be zealous of good works. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said we are to be ready unto every good work. In chapter 3, verse 8, he said, Be careful to maintain good works. The theme is that as a child of God, we're working, aren't we? Laboring. Well, what kind of works do we involve ourselves in? Paul said, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let me tell you what. There there isn't anything that you do in the name of Christ that goes unnoticed by God. The Bible says God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. When you love the Lord and you love His kingdom, then service is a byproduct, isn't it? It's just incorporated into your life. Well, what do you do? Well, just like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, people are hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. If they don't have clothing, you give them something to wear. If they need a place to live, you take them in or you give them a place to live. If they're sick and in prison, what do you do? You visit them. With regard to sharing the gospel, we talk about benevolence. And typically we talk about the three works of the church, evangelism, edification, and benevolence. But really, benevolence and education tie back to evangelism, don't they? Because ultimately our goal, when we help those in need, those who are outside the body of Christ, our goal is to lead them to Christ. Because as has been said so many times before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so to genuinely care for others and reach out, help them, and to teach them the gospel. I think about David and the people that he ministers to on a regular basis, those who have been battling addictions. And those folks are struggling. But I can tell you one thing, I know they know David cares about them. And through his efforts, people have been baptized into Christ right here. So... When we reach out to people, it makes a difference. What about our sacrifices? I said that we are servants of God. As a servant of God, we have to make sacrifices. 
Are you willing to make the necessary sacrifices to be a steadfast saint? What kind of sacrifices are we talking about? Number one, I would say we need to be willing to sacrifice our time. 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. And you think about how precious every minute is. Every minute that we lose is a minute that we will never get back. Paul said in Ephesians 5.16 that we are to redeem the time, buy it up, because the days are evil. Think about your life. And think about your life is like a clock, isn't it? That clock is running down. In light of the brevity of life, we only have a little bit of time here. So what we have to do is make the most of every minute that we have here on planet Earth. Time is such a precious commodity. And sadly, sometimes we waste a lot of time. Time that could be used for the kingdom, for personal spiritual growth. Time that could be used in worship to God. Sometimes, sadly, we have time for any and everything, but no time for God. And there are a lot of folks, when it comes to their time and the Lord, they throw the Lord just a few crumbs. God's not interested in our crumbs. God wants the entirety of our lives, doesn't He? Remember what Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The second thing that we're to sacrifice, first our time, secondly, our talents. We have a lot of talent in this congregation, a lot of ability. Wouldn't it be a shame for somebody to fail to use his or her talent in the Lord? I don't know what kind of talent or ability you have. I know some of the talents and abilities that people possess. But you think about this congregation in North Mississippi and all of the resources and talents that are right here among us. And so as a child of God, if we're going to be working in the Lord, we've got to use our talent, our ability to glorify God, to use it the best we can. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you using the talent or ability that God has given you to glorify Him in your life? If not, I want to encourage you to do so. And then thirdly, our treasures. Our treasures belong to God. You remember what Paul said about stewards? He said, that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. Look, you are a steward. I am a steward of my time, my talents, and my treasures. So everything that we have ultimately belongs to whom? It belongs to God. Paul said the earth is the, Lord and the, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. And when we die, it all goes back to the house, so to speak, doesn't it? It all goes back to God. So here's what Paul said, 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 17. And I would say that all of us living in America today, we are wealthy. We are rich. If you look at the world population and you look at some of the third world countries that are out there, think about some of the people that those of you that went on the mission trip this past June. Think about the conditions they lived in. And think about their life and your life in America. 
Would you want to trade places with them? Would you want to live where they lived? So in reality, we are rich, aren't we? So Paul said, charge them that are rich in this present world, that they trust not in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He said that they do good, that they be rich in good works, willing to communicate. And why? Laying up for ourselves a good foundation against the time to come, that we may lay hold on eternal life. Whatever resources you have, can't you take some of those resources and use it for good in the kingdom? There are lots of things that could be done for the cause of God. Let me tell you what. Our world population is what, about 7 billion people? And Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, to the whole creation. If the world is going to hear the gospel, then we have to do it, don't we? And there are two parts to the Great Commission. There's the going and the sending. Not all of us can go, but we can all send, can't we? So we have the opportunity to share. Fourthly and finally, first I need to see myself in this verse. Secondly, I need to see the mandate in this verse. Thirdly, I need to see the mission in this verse. And fourthly, I need to see the motivation in this verse. Now listen, as Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Did you know as a child of God, you have an inheritance? You're wealthy. When you engage in the work of the Lord, why do you do that? One of the reasons is because we love the Lord, isn't it? When you think about what God has done for you, what He has done for all of us, that is a motivating factor to be involved in the work of the church, to labor in His cause. I cited a moment ago Hebrews chapter 6, where the writer said, God is not unrighteous to forget our work, our labor, our labor of love. Work in the kingdom ought to be something that we want to do that we enjoy doing. And why is that? Because, number one, we're serving the Lord. And in so doing, we are demonstrating Christ-like behavior. But ultimately, what Paul is saying is, look, you need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in God's work. Why? Listen to him. Here it is. That your labor is not vain in the Lord. Are we to be productive in the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Remember what Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you shall be my disciples. We are to bear fruit in our lives. We're to be involved in the kingdom of God. We're to be productive. But there is this great promise. The promise is we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible, undefiled. It fades not away. And Peter said, It is reserved in heaven for you. So Paul would say, Look, you need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, in the work of the Lord. And the reason is, your labor is not vain in the Lord. Will it have been worth it to have been a Christian? I want to close by saying this. The blessed life is the Christian life. The greatest, the greatest way to live is to live a Christian life. I believe that. And there are a lot of reasons, because number one, 
we enjoy a lot of blessings here on planet Earth. But number two, because the Christian life is the blessed life, because when this life ends, there's something a lot better, isn't there? And Paul's simply saying, look, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God will remember. So, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel, why not do that tonight? Why not do what we said a moment ago? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, your life is not steadfast in the Lord, if you need the prayers of the church, why not let us pray with you and for you? The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we do that with you tonight as we stand and sing?